now, here's Armstrong and Getty. Live! Oh, wow. Excuse me. <clears throat> Should have wow. cleared my throat. That's uh, wow. not a good start. La, 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 la. La, 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 that was not a good start. Flemish master. Is a sick enough. Yeah. That's a little gross. Live from Studio C. Si, senor. Dimly lit room deep in the bowels of the Armstrong Getty Communications compound. And today, kicking off a brand new week. A week full of hope. Or maybe doom. You're under the tutelage of your general manager. Several choices. I mean, for the western U.S., the heat, my God, the heat. John Rahm won the U.S. Open Golf Tournament at 40 pounds. I uh, was fabulous saying, I don't, I don't really feel strongly about anything. Hmm. Are there any uh, nominees? Yeah, Raizi, the new uh, president of Iran. Oh, Lord. That's a big deal. We'll tell you about it later. Raizi. Raizi does it. No, Raizi doesn't do it. <laughs> Guy famous for torturing and murdering people. For decades, the worst person they've ever had in that office got elected fraudulently. They don't really have elections, but got mm-hmm. elected as the leader of Iran. And uh, being president of Iran, nobody in the America really knows what that means because he got the Ayatollah also, and nobody's quite sure how they make decisions and whatnot. But he is a, a butcher. He is a murderer. He is a torturer, like with his own hands. Wow. He has tortured thousands and murdered thousands of people. That's and, funny. The mainstream media just refers to him as a conservative uh, scholar. And he is now the guy in charge. And I, I read a bunch of op-ed pieces over the weekend about how this is not a good sign. This is no. not a good sign for the people of Iran, particularly. Yeah, but clearly a message from the Revolutionary Guard and the mullahs. No more moderates. And no more demonstrations. That's what the messages seem to be mostly from for internally. Hey, hmm. this whole every time you feel like you're not happy, you demonstrate, those days are over. Because he has uh, the last big uh, demonstration uh, uh, uprising they had, he uh, he personally jailed, tortured, ordered the executions of many, many, many people. Yikes, man! That the, the accounts I read were woefully incomplete. Why, I'd say so. I'd, good lord! Um, so we'll talk more about that later. I just I just listened to it, and I don't want to get off on this because I know you're probably tired of listening to us to talk about it, and you probably agree with us, so it's not new news to you. But I was just listening to a news report where it seemed to be that the reporters were just flabbergasted that this whole Zoom learning thing did not work. Wow. Wasn't working the whole time. Wow. And, you know, I, I take in a fair amount of media. I've never heard anybody state it as plainly as we have on this show that that did not work, especially from the beginning, from April, May. I think I started in May of last year talking about how this is not working. This is a disaster. Right. Took, took texts from people. How, how much of a education do you think your kid's getting? The average answer was like around 25%. Few people said half, like half would be good enough. It didn't work. It didn't work from the beginning. And I've never heard anybody <laughs> acknowledge that. Anyways, and, and what's especially interesting is it's a weirdly like a regressive disaster in that those kids who are most desperately in need of education got the least of it. Yeah, it's the worst thing progressives maybe have ever done. To themselves, mostly. But um, so I was listening to this report about uh, one um, uh, lower income school district and how they checked in on a, a class 
there on the last day of school, and there were something like 30 kids in the classroom. Only eight of the cameras were on during the day, which means the uh, the vast bulk of the class didn't even bother to turn their camera on, so they were doing whatever they wanted to do. I mean, they basically didn't go to school. And mm-hmm. of the cameras that were on, seven of the eight were pointed at the ceiling. Oh, my God. So basically nothing was happening with that class. Um and this was high school kids. This is high schoolers. And, you know, uh, my kids are younger, so they don't, they're not at that place in life where they're going to decide, this is a bunch of crap. So they kind of went through the motions when my kid was in Zoom school, you know, because you're kind of supposed to. And the teachers did the best they, best they could with a absolutely disastrous uh, tool for teaching. But, you know, older kids past a certain age, you're going to say, this is BS after right. a certain point. Well, and in a lot of cases, it was. They were absolutely was. correct. Sure. They were making a reasonable decision about how to spend their time. They talked to a kid who would uh, turn on his camera, point at the ceiling, and got a job, and he would go to work. <laughs> he figured it was better to make money than to do this. Well, good for him. He'll go places in life. You remember when at the Golden Globes, Ricky Gervais issued that just blast at the actors to come and get your little awards and shut up. Don't talk about politics. You're literally the last people in the world who have any perspective, etc. The same could be said of a lot of America's media elite. They are an insulated, generally young, very left-leaning, generally childless uh, group. They have no idea what life is like for the vast majority of Americans or how remote schooling went, for instance. No clue. No, I wouldn't have if I didn't have kids. I'd have just thought, oh, okay, I'm sure that's fine. One of my favorite theories of uh, for why the news media has gotten as bad as it has is that it has been taken over by theater kids. I don't know if that ties into <laughs> Joe's thing about the the actors and stuff, but I I feel like there's a connection there. Theater kids, <laughs> child. Well, especially broadcast journalism is yeah. absolutely where hot people who decide not to make it in acting or don't make it in acting or they get tired of modeling. That's where they go. Yeah. Anyway. Uh... Hmm. I don't know if I don't know if the world will ever catch up to what a disaster that was. Well, I think the world's going to catch up next year when kids come back to school and teachers have to figure out how to teach these kids who haven't learned anything in some cases almost two years. Well, and and getting close to wearing out the point, I realize. But uh, to say online schooling, remote schooling was a disaster is to side with. Dare I say it? Yeah, that has a lot to do with it. Trump. That, that has a lot to do with it. Right, so and, you can't admit it. And I was thinking about the Goodworth rule law. Is that what the guy's name was? Goodheart? Goodheart. That we just learned about a couple of weeks ago. Takes one to know one. Yeah, that law. No, that if you if you come up with a standard uh, measurement uh, and then you make that the goal, it ceases to be a good measurement. Well, the, the goal was uh, they started measuring by how many cameras were turned on. Oh, boy. Uh, whether or not kids showed up to school. Oh, and boy. So a bunch of people, the, the school, as long as you turned on your camera, they would think, okay, fine. We've met the measurement. We'll get our funding. We'll get those millions of dollars that they're throwing around at schools for Zoom learning. Well, we've met the measurement. doesn't matter that the camera's pointed at the ceiling and the kid's not in the room. If it were not so tragic, it would be hilarious. Yeah. Just utter incompetence, phoniness, lying. Oh, boy. Hope you had a good Father's Day. I did have to talk about that later, too. Let me hear about yours. Our text line is 415-295-KFTC. You know, it's teamwork that makes the dream work. And that's why we introduce everybody in the squad here to press buttons, flip toggles, pull levers. Hi this morning, Michelangelo. 
not doing good. That should have been our general manager, the American father. There you go. That's a good one, Michael. What there the heck? Yeah. I had a great Father's Day. We uh, all got together as a family and got to eat some prime rib, and it was delicious and uh, just a very, very nice time. Yeah, I saw those uh, cards. Did you tweet those out or, or what? Or just text them out? Father's Day cards you're looking for, and they're all uh, flatulence jokes and whatnot. Um, I ran into some of that yesterday, too. The the ongoing dads are just dumb, helpless, uh, flatulence machines is what dads are. It's a weird thing we've done with our culture. Yeah, yeah, it is. And it's troubling, the devaluing of the American father. It's uh, That's something I've talked about for years and years and, and feel very strongly. Little boys and little girls really, really need a good dad. Well, there's, all kinds of, job. there's all kinds of statistics about uh, kids uh, growing up in fatherless households that aren't good. Anyway, mm-hmm. there's Positive Sean, whose smile lights up the room. How are you, Sean? Uh, doing well. Had a great Father's Day myself. You know, I had uh, uh, burgers on the grill. Uh, some uh, some good high quality sipping tequila, right? We're not we're, sipping tequila. Oh yeah, yeah. We're oh, nice. we're not a spring break. We're not doing shots. We're <laughs> right. not trying to you know uh, enable the bad decisions we're making later on tonight. We are adults. <laughs> we're enjoying the finer things of life. Get a little half shot of that thing. Just just take a little sip on it. Oh, oh it's so good. It's good stuff there. Mm. I took the kids to a car show yesterday, and uh, talked about that later. It was kind of fun, but um. I ordered this ice cream treat from an ice cream truck, and I guess I wasn't paying attention anywhere. I ordered it, and the guy said, well, that's going to be a lot of ice cream. I just ordered two, one for each kid. I apparently was not designed that way. <laughs> he handed me over. It cost $24. That's when I realized. I must have bought something kind of expensive. $24 for two, ice, for two ice cream treats. What the hell? Wow. He handed these to me like I could hardly lift them, tubs of ice cream. <laughs> That I gave to each of the kids. So that was, that was our big Father's Day treat. It was like, it was like, I don't know, a half a gallon each of ice cream. This is just insane. So he sat there in the 100 degree, trying to eat the ice cream because, you know, you don't want to waste it by throwing it away. You oh, have to certainly eat not. It and feel sick to have not wasted it for some reason in my stupid head. Wow. <laughs> but that was, that was what they'll remember of Father's Day. Oh, that's right. That's when dad bought us each a half a gallon of vanilla ice cream. You want two of the obesitrons? <laughs> All right. Get out your checkbook. <laughs> this is typically for a family of six. <laughs> exactly. He said, do you want another spoon? I said, no, it's just for them. And pretty soon I had to come back. Can I, can I have another spoon? spoon <laughs> I need a spoon. <laughs> so much ice cream. <laughs> so much ice cream. Uh, I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty on this moon. June Monday, June 21st, the longest day of the year, traditionally known as the first day of summer. It's now officially summer. For like, only if you care about the summer solstice. You've been calling it summer for like a month and a half now. If you're a planet, that's significant. Yeah. The rest of us, it's been hot for quite some time. So let's begin the show officially now, according to FCC rules and regs at Mark. It's not gambling. It's just taking it's taking chances with your money. Dude, GameStop, AMC. I just feel bad for all of you because you're going to be working and I'm going to be retiring at 35. What? How much Bitcoin do I have? Uh, f- Right now, $50 worth. $50 of Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah. Well, hold on. It's 48 today. (laughs) Uh, What is that? That's the guy who just started day trading six months ago. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty funny. I'm sure there's more of that. Um, How does mailbag look? Oh, it's nice. We'll ease into the week. We'll ease into the week? (laughs) It's still coming together. I think I I I hear what you're saying. Uh, Yeah, no, no, no. We'll catch you up on the news. I don't think you followed the news over the weekend. Why Why would you? We'll catch you up on all that. Again, text line 415-295-KFTC.
The Armstrong and Getty Show. We like coming up with things that are great teases, oftentimes better teases than the actual information. <laughs> this is one of the best teases that I've ever heard. Why do people want Jeff Bezos to buy and eat the Mona Lisa? We'll have those details for you coming up. It's a big online push right now, man. Fabulous. Fabulous. Mailbag. Oh, whoops. Freedom-loving quote of the geez. day. I'm sorry. Wow. i got to write this down or you something. Rearra- you rearranged a tradition. <laughs> yeah, I know. A, a tradition like no other. <laughs> After 20 years of doing mailbag a certain way, and then you forget how to do it. Wow, that's just galling. <laughs> tough crowd. Freedom-loving quote of the day, Michael. I already said it. Way to fife and drums. Oh, boy. Why don't we go with an absolute classic from John Philpot Curran. The price of freedom is eternal vigilance. Yeah, that's pretty good. I've heard TJ uh, given credit for that one. Thomas Jefferson. I don't know. Anyway, it's true. Mailbag. Doug writes, question, if women are now birthing people, are fathers now birthing initiators? Asking for a friend. Yeah, we didn't talk much about the whole birthing people thing. Uh, In the Biden administration, they actually changed the language and some of the paperwork. From mothers to birthing birthing people. Which is, man, appealing to, like, the weirdest 1% of America. If that. If that. And or the super nut job 5-6% to that they want desperately to be thought of as enlightened, but they have no idea what they're talking about. Uh, moving along. I call bullspit on the do- Biden dog dying of natural causes, writes Jeff. Oh, wow. He was snuffed out for one of two reasons. Number one, he was going to bark about the Hunter Biden allegations, so they were forced to silence him. Or it was an inside job. <laughs> By the Secret Service, is ultimate payback for biting one of their own. The administration is not going to answer any questions about it, guaranteed. Wow. So the dog that passed away over the weekend, uh, the first dog, that was uh, Joe Biden's oldest dog had had for 13 years. That dog didn't bite anybody, did it? I can't remember. I thought it was the, the newer. dogs are kind of similarly named. Aren't it they? was the newer, Major. the newer rescue dogs that uh, were biting people. Mm. This dog he'd had for 13 years. All right, well, I'm sorry know. to hear of its yeah, passing. sure. Fine dog, as far as I know. I thought the press coverage was a little over the top over the weekend. Let's see, moving along, uh, Preston writes, on Friday, Joe, you said the words, there is racism, is, is there racism in the military? Of course there's racism in the military. Well, how do you know that, Joe? Have you experienced it? Do you know someone that has? Maybe the idea is not to sell you on the racist book, but the idea is just to convince you that racism is everywhere. Of course there's racism in the military. Maybe you've taken the bait, sir. I I would suggest to you, sir, that there is uh, racism, prejudice in every facet of humanity. Always has been, always will be. The key is to make sure people are not able to act out on it in a way that is illegal, immoral, or deprives anybody of their rights. How big a problem it is, though, I don't have the slightest idea. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, of course, there's racism everywhere, is my point. Um, oh, Nick writes... I uh, just wanted to drop a line related to how to be an anti-racist after listening to Admiral Gilday getting grilled about it. As a Marine, we haven't had this book recommended to us, but we do have a pretty lengthy recommended le- reading list about leadership mostly. 
Anyway, in Chapter 1 in the audiobook version read by Ibram X. Kendi, I came across a nugget I hadn't heard before. In his description of how racist Donald Trump is, he quoted Trump as saying, laziness is a trait in black people. Uh, needless to say, that claim was shocking, required immediate research, and it wasn't hard. Snopes, PolitiFact, even they discredited that claim. But I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of people who think Trump is nakedly racist believe that because of this kind of information, misinformation. Uh, that's interesting. Good job uh, researching that. Interesting and troubling. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. It's just repeated. Uh, and, and if then, you call researching, Googling it and figuring it out in two seconds, but that is researching. Well, if the lefty Snopes and PolitiFact both call bull ass on it, it's incredible that it's in the great uh, celebrated book by the, the sage, the philosopher, Ibram X. Kendi. Come on. Didn't get to this note. Is there a new age of imperialism beginning? I found it intriguing. Maybe we'll bring it up in a few minutes. Hmm. I'd say new leader in Iran, uh, some COVID news, variety of things to get you up on. Armstrong and Getty. Push to get Jeff Bezos to buy the Mona Lisa and eat it. <laughs> Details on that coming up. <laughs> but that is one of the things we've been saying forever. Ever why don't why don't billionaires do something crazy with their money? Something that only a billionaire could do. Like we always you, you use the example of buy the NBA and make them play with deflated <laughs> balls or something. Put baseball on ice. <laughs> All right. Now you have to skate. What? Number one, I'm from the Dominican Republic. I've never skated. I'm sorry, baseball's now on ice. But another good example would be buying the Mona Lisa, one of the most famous pieces of art in the world, and then eating it <laughs> as a YouTube prank. Well, that would be destructive. That's not funny. Mm. We'd be fine. Um, oh, before I forget, major Armstrong and Getty Show announcement uh, to kick off hour two. Okay. So six minutes after the hour, coming up. They elected a butcher in Iran over the weekend to be the next president, easily the most strict fundamentalist version of a president they've had since uh, the Islamic Islamic Republic began in 1979. Uh, we'll, we'll bring you a little more of that later. How the United States is going to deal with him uh, exactly, I don't know. Um, well, and it's not at all clear, as we, we were saying earlier, exactly what the president does or what authority he has anyway. Sure. But it's a signal, no doubt. Uh, so Adam Schiff was on... One of your talk shows yesterday. Which one was I watching? ABC This Week, I think. And uh, and uh, generally, I have no interest in what that gentleman has to say. As the, but he is the chair of the Intelligence Committee in the Senate, which is a pretty darn big deal. House. Got the smallest, thinnest neck I've ever seen. And but he spent so many years making up crap about the Russia investigation, not being challenged at all about it on TV. That I've kind of you know grown uh, uninterested in the thin-necked gentleman. But he was talking yesterday and being asked about the whole hacking stuff that's been going on, and Joe Biden making a red line saying, "Hey, there are sixteen things. I gave Putin a list of sixteen things you can't hack or else." And I thought Schiff had some interesting things to say about that. The U.S. is on offense in the cyber realm. Does that mean we're entering an age of greater volatility? I think we do have to go more on offense. uh, And I I think that means that when we identify cyber groups that are working in conjunction with foreign states, that we treat them as an arm of the state uh, and that we use our cyber capability to 
uh, destroy or disrupt the infrastructure they're using uh, to raid whatever funds they're accumulating from these uh, attacks. Uh, does that you know, yield to greater instability? Very possibly, um, because we would be taking action against foreign parties. Uh, and unless we get more serious, both about our defense, which has to be number one, but also our offense, we're going to see more of this. I thought that was pretty big news because earlier in the interview, he uh, talked about that group that hacked our pipeline, you know, that's set up in Russia, <clears throat> how we have no doubt they are operating uh, at the pleasure of Vladimir Putin. So then, mm. as he said there, we're going to start treating these groups that are in these countries as arms of the state. And it was an attack by the state. And we will go on the offense against the state. Interesting. I'm getting past my loathing of Adam Schiff, but slowly. Uh, I thought that was a perfectly reasonable thing to say, and yeah, it'll lead to greater instability in the same way that uh, standing up to a bully always does. Yeah, what, the United States attacking Russia's infrastructure? Yeah, but what else are you going to do? There's no other option. So I'm glad to hear that that... uh, Well, I'm glad to hear that we're going to fight back. I'm not happy to hear that there is a fight, uh, because you never know where that's going to go. I... this is all brand new, and for some reason the world, and I hope it stays this way, for some reason the world feels like, okay, you can only react to a cyber attack with another cyber attack. I'm not sure why it's that way. I'm not sure why if Russia attacks our pipeline, we can't just freaking bomb it out of the sky. Why do we have to figure out how to get a thumb drive into somewhere to cripple it through its computer system as opposed to just blowing it up out in the middle of nowhere? You but know, that's where the world is right now. I, but, I, you know, the first country that changes that and then it's over for good, whether it's China, Iran, us, Russia, the first country that reacts with a bomb to a cyber attack and then, then the rules have changed. Wouldn't you say that's true? You know, you could re- you could argue if you wanted to that uh, Iran has done that because Israel has hit them with cyber weapons several times and they send bombs to Hamas. Hmm. Uh, you know, and the other groups, and they actually literally bomb Israel. But putting that aside, I think you could draw a line between taking human lives and cyber attacks, sure, depending on the that. nature. I, unless you had a cyber attack on a hospital that, that led to the deaths of, uh, you know, a, a dozen premature infants or something like that. I wow. realize that's a particularly horrifying thought, but it's not outside the realm of possibility. But to, as you pointed out, just bomb a pipeline, just take out a mile of their pipeline. Don't kill anybody. Just ruin their infrastructure. I don't have any problem with that. be a lot easier. I'm sure yeah. we could do that anywhere. Yeah. Although, again, if you even let uh, one of the dogs of war loose. Sometimes they go crazy. And yep. I think that's that's probably why the caution is, uh, is warranted. And that's what Schiff was talking about, the instability that is to come. We don't know what that's going to look like. Another topic, and this is somewhat grim. Do you remember when the Space Shuttle Challenger blew up? You have to be of a certain age. To uh, have been around when that happened. What was that in the 80s? There's a new book out about that that's getting a fair amount of attention. Oh, boy. Um, that was one of those you remember where you were when you heard about it sort of stories, right? Absolutely. I, I still remember, you know, a lot of the particulars of the news story that day. That You know, the O-ring and Martin Thiokol, and it's just kind of seared into my memory. Yeah, so uh, I don't know if this was completely new news or not, but I uh, I wasn't as aware about it until this book that's coming out right now. Um, for some reason, this article does not have the name of the book, which is interesting. Can you look up that up real quick? Because somebody's going to ask. Uh, a new book about the Challenger disaster, but 
They believe that they survived clear down, likely till they crashed into the ocean. Oh boy! And I don't know that that was known before. Yeah, I'd heard, uh, I'd heard people state that the crew probably survived for uh, survived the explosion. Um, yeah, the explosion, and they were shot into the sky with high G force. But it's believed that they probably that was survivable, and and the probability of injury very low. And that they were probably uh, alive and aware of what had happened for several minutes. Oh, my uh, Going up and then several more minutes coming back down until they crashed into the ocean. No, no, nobody oh. will ever know. But the, the Burning Blue, is that the name of it? I think so, yeah. yeah the untold story of the uh, Christina McAlfey and NASA's Challenger disaster. Yeah, the crew cabin continued to rise for 20 seconds before slowing because it got shot into the air. Yeah. It, that, that's the way it's supposed to work when there's an explosion. It was supposed to get away from it. So it shot it way up high in the air. Going straight up, like with crazy G-force, it says um, 2 million pounds of sudden thrust, blasting it into the sky and uh, giving the, the passengers 20 G-forces, multiple times the three Gs that their training had uh, gotten them ready for. So, wouldn't everybody have passed out, probably? Probably, but you wake right back up. Like when I, um, when I did the uh, Road with the Blue Angels, you hit enough G-forces, you might go down for just like a second and then you come back up again. Mm. And that's what they think would probably happen here. So they got they got shot up in the air for twenty seconds, and you'd kind of come to a stop, and then you just started to flow, fall back to earth twelve miles oh above boy. the ocean until they reached a terminal velocity of two hundred miles an hour, crashing into the sea. Oh, and Lord. the final descent probably took two minutes. So they had a full two and a half minutes of uh, awareness, likely according to the book. Wow. Well, that's grim. I, that's I'm not exactly sure. Grim. What's the uh, is that uh, is that information that is needed to be known or? Uh... I don't want to dwell on it anymore. Um, I don't know. I said, well, I suppose it was a national disaster, and scientifically speaking, we ought to know what happened here's, and why. Here's, here's, I changed my mind as I'm thinking about it. Here's why I don't mind, and it might be why it's coming out now. Let's not pretend that all this, uh, these, these talks about uh, traveling to Mars or a moon base and all this different stuff is completely risk-free and always goes right. There's no point in that, and kind of and kind of sugarcoating the whole what happened in that explosion. And oh, no, no, I'm sure they they were pain, completely painless, no fear, no no gut wrenching fear for two and a half minutes about oh my god, my life is over. No, no, none of that. Just they just cease to exist, and we move on with the next space challenge. There's probably no upside to that. Yeah, it's it's funny. Uh, the flip side of that is we already are so worshipful of caution and safety in this country. I'm afraid that uh, folks will. We'll, we'll take the wrong message from that, that exploration and innovation aren't worth it because you might get hurt or you might get killed. One interesting thing from the book, and I don't know if I knew this or not, you know, Ms. McAuliffe, uh, the teacher who was in the space shuttle, which is one of the reasons it got so much attention, um, she was chosen mostly for her personality. The um, uh, George Bush Sr. uh Really liked having somebody that could, uh, you know, get in front of the cameras and uh, America would warm to her as they did because NASA was kind of in a situation where people were kind of like, uh, it was kind of seen as, eh, whatever. Because they kept having failure after failure trying to get space shuttle up and then wouldn't accomplish what it was supposed to accomplish. And then everybody get all excited about a launch and they couldn't launch again. And so they, they wanted this uh, really telegenic woman that could uh, boost up the space program again. It had way more to do with her personality than anything else. Why she oh, was I believe just- that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, a publicity stunt, more or less. Although, you know, in a in a free country where people vote and the budget at least is allegedly a reflection of the will of the people, 
Uh, I get that. It's not an unholy thing to do. It's just a tragedy. But if we're going to go to Mars, if people are going to go to Mars, I think we probably need to be hardened to the idea that a certain number of people will die uh, on the effort to figure that out. Uh, it's certainly possible. Yeah, we're a lot better than we were in the eighties. Sure, um, but yeah, it's possible. But don't sure. you? I, it's the same thing we have with uh, with uh, military action now. We kind of have like a zero tolerance policy for for death. Mm-hmm. And uh, are not willing to absorb any any losses in the pursuit of any gain. Right, right. Well, it's the the whole uh, soft and and comfortable decadent society versus the up and coming hungry society in which you know the heroes are lost and then the parades are held and everybody says uh, you know it's a shame but uh, they're a hero and they plunge ahead mission focused. We're not really very mission focused as a country these days. We're kind of comfort focused. Yep, I know I am. Um, Sean, uh, handed me this story. What quitters understand about the job market? More people quit their job last month than ever in history. We have a major show announcement coming up beginning of hour two that might fit in with that story. And a tale of two columnists, both for the New York Times, one saying something surprising, the other saying something just utterly idiotic and being totally serious about it. How smart people can be so stupid. <laughs> It's amazing. All that more to come. Don't go away. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I don't even know how you'd eat the Mona Lisa. Would you, like, grind it into a, a smoothie or something like that? You'd almost have to. I mean, ancient uh, canvas full of paint, oil paint. Of course, you. Jeff Bezos, be huh? That can't be good for you. The ancient paints? Really old oil paint with yeah. a lot of lead in it? Probably lead-based, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, Jeff Bezos is the richest man in the world. Uh, he's being encouraged by the Internet to buy the Mona Lisa and eat it. More details to come. <laughs> encouraged by the Internet. <laughs> Beautiful. Uh, so I was uh, kind of interested to see this. A couple of New York Times columnists with a couple of different ideas that they're expressing. One utterly idiotic that we'll get to in a moment or two. Uh, but Frank Bruni, who's been writing for uh, the New York Times for ages, he is a liberal. Uh, he also wrote a great book about uh, getting into college. As I recall, uh, where you go is not who you'll be. I'm pretty sure that was Bruni. But anyway, an interesting guy, though, thoughtful guy. I disagreed with him a lot. But he's writing his farewell column. He wrote it Friday. He is taking a job in academia. He's still going to be doing some writing, but he's the something chair of something or other at Duke University. Uh, and uh, in his Friday column, he wrote, the headline was, I owe Ted Cruz an apology. Uh, though really it's readers to whom I should say I'm sorry. He looked back at his 10 years as a columnist and painted a picture of regret, saying he too often swam with the snide tide. Many columnists do. To his much larger point, he wondered if, like many opinion writers, uh, he's contributed to the very things he criticizes. Quote, the toxic tenor of American discourse, the furious pitch of American politics, the volume and vitriol of it all. Mm. Um, and here's, uh, here's where he gets into it that I think, you know, I appreciate him writing it. He wrote, too many columnists generalized too, generalized too broadly. I know I did when I wrote in August 2019 about the tendency of hate, and I asserted that Americans who still opposed same-sex marriage 
cannot bear the likes of me and other gay, gay people. A reader called me out on it, saying there's a difference between disagreeing with a position and detesting a person. He was right, but that distinction was lost in my excited prose. Mm, okay. I'm liking what he's saying, but uh, you're probably fairly motivated by you get to keep your job if you do the broad-based, broad-brushed painting of people of hate and this and that. And now that you're quitting, now you can be nuanced. Come and admit to your sins, yeah, having exactly. profited uh, from them. Yes. Yeah, well, there's absolutely a, a bit of that. But at least he's saying it. True. And he talks about Trump. Reminds me, by the way, of the guy that left the Washington Post. He quit after 50 years of writing at the Washington Post and saying it's gotten so crazy I can't do it anymore. Yeah, yeah. But then he gets into Trump and Trump throwing insults around. And so we jumped in on it and did the same thing. Um uh, I miss nuance, which has been incinerated by today's hot takes. There aren't yeah. as many clicks in cooling tempers and complicating people's understanding of situations as there are in stoking their rage. Yeah, now that you no longer lead clicks for your bosses to keep your job, you're <laughs> crying clicks. Wow. Listen Doesn't, listen, listen to the, the subtle difference. Joe praising a man, finally doing the right thing. Jack kicking him. It doesn't make him wrong, but it's pretty damned convenient when he finally decides to uh, discover the truth. Yeah, yeah. Uh, take the overlapping issues of cancel culture and free speech. Much of what I read is absolutist, blah, blah, blah. I think either can be true, depending on the circumstances and the details, which vary from case to case and prevent any summary judgment. So I haven't, here it is, you'll love this. So I haven't written about cancel culture much. Uh, Yes, that's cowardice, but to cut myself a bit of slack, it's also a reasoned response to a marketplace that isn't big on reason. Mm-hmm. A reasoned so. response. My reason is I want to keep my job. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, if, if crap sells, sell crap is what he's saying. But now he's re- expressing regret on the way out for having uh, sold crap. So the other, speaking of crap, and this is some, and then, man, this is like a fine, twice distilled crap. You got a nice piece in the Seattle Times. Where have all the waiters gone? And they go from bar to bar, restaurant to restaurant. They can't find anybody. They can't employ anybody, no matter how much they pay. And they mention that the uh, generous unemployment benefits are absolutely a factor. This is in the Seattle Times, folks. This is not the Wall Street Journal. Uh, then you have this piece in the Washington Post. Hiring troubles uh, prompt some employers to eye automation and machines. And actually, we could get into this more because there's some uh, some facets to the article I found really interesting. But uh, unquestionably, there's an explosion now in using machines instead of humans because they can't hire anybody. Then you come to this column in the Washington Post. I'm sorry, I said it was New York Times columnist. Jennifer Rubin, who's an absolute nut job in the Washington Post. The press won't let go of a Republican talking point. That talking, the Republican talking point is that generous unemployment benefits are discouraging people from working. If you want to, if you want proof that somebody has no good solid arguments about something, they'll either use the term gaslighting or they'll call it a Republican talking point or, oh, I'm sorry, a, a discredited conspiracy theory mm-hmm. debunked. Yeah. If they say debunked, they have no arguments. But listen to this, would you? When April's tepid job numbers came out, Republicans insisted the culprit was overly generous unemployment benefits. Quote, people are just lazy. Take away benefits and force people to find work. 
blah, blah, blah. There was little evidence that unemployment benefits correlated to slow job growth. Rather, other factors, in particular lingering concerns about COVID, lack of child care, and schools still operating, at least in part remotely, were to blame. And then she mentions that unemployment dropped. And that's proof that the Republicans have no facts. Nevertheless, the White House press corps is still parroting the now moot argument that people would rather stay home than work. How is somebody as intelligent as her so dumb? Do you figure? I don't know. It's the, the the lack of willingness to believe people are willing to do th- the the wrong thing. Uh, I, although it strikes me as a perfectly rational economic decision, if if the government will pay you pretty generous benefits to not work, and you could do a side hustle, or you have all of your free time, which absolutely has economic value, that that, that how can you claim that a greater incentive to do one thing doesn't get you more of that one thing? How can somebody so smart be so freaking stupid? We have a major show announcement to make. Should we be worried about the Delta variant of the COVID virus? Get the podcast. If you miss an hour, go to armstrongandgetty.com. Armstrong and Getty.